Well, if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Perhaps it's a subject that has often come up in, especially when you're listening to a lot of preaching. And it's, it's a subject that a lot of people think about. They don't usually bother asking about it. But it's been a question on a lot of Christians' heart, on a lot of Christian people's hearts, right? And this question is on the subject of studying your Bible. Now, whenever we hear the word, okay, study, whenever we see this, this verse in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is a command. But a lot of us, maybe we look at it and we wonder, uh, how do I go about this? How do I go about studying God's word? Have you ever opened your Bible and just stared at it? You have set your morning appointment with God in your Bible. Why? Simply stated, you know it will help you. Yet you just sit and stare, feeling more lost with each fleeting moment. Perhaps you are thinking that First Chronicles wasn't the best place to start. Leviticus wasn't helping much either. Then you thought, aha, I'll go to the New Testament. But Revelation was giving you nightmares. You know you should do more than simply just read the Bible. You've been told that you are to study to show that self-approved. And you really want to do this. Yet you do not know either where to start in the Bible or even how to begin the whole process of Bible study. It's a frustrating feeling. For today's disciples who are just beginning to study the Bible, staring at a table of contents with 66 books can feel a bit overwhelming, perhaps even intimidating. Do you start with Leviticus? No. Do you start with a book study? Do you start... Do you, do you study a topic? If so, which topic do you study? Do you just cherry pick references until you convince yourself that the Bible agrees with your plan? No. As much as I would love to present to you everything there is to Bible study, we don't have that much time. Right? We agree that we'll be done soon. But I do want to give you some helps so that tomorrow, when you meet with God, you can jumpstart your Bible study. How does that sound to you? Good? It's a good deal? Okay. So, here's the thing. What is the difference with Bible studying and reading your Bible? Well, before we begin answering those, some of these questions, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father... We thank you, Lord, for everyone that is here. We thank you for the safety that you've provided as they were coming here down the road. And I pray, Father, that you would just bless us, help us, and speak through your word to ours. Help us, Lord, so that we can learn your word, we can study your word, and show ourselves approved unto you. Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified by everything that is said and done. Pray, Father, that you would speak through me in this message as well. I pray that everyone here would take something today and use it uh, down the road. I pray and thank you, Lord, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Bible reading is like, if I could illustrate it, 
Bible reading is a little bit like eating a McDouble. And Bible studying is like eating a Five Guys double juicy beef patties with cheese burger. You're basically going to get a lot more out of your Bible study than from your Bible reading. Okay? So Bible studying is what allows pastors to give their sermons. Bible studying is what allows the average person to know what is good doctrine and what is bad doctrine. All right? So the first, one of the first questions that comes up when we're studying is, is it difficult? And I'll answer, you, answer this really quickly. It is not difficult, but it does require a lot of work. In fact, if you're looking there in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. Right? So the word workman is literally telling you this is going to require a lot of work. It's not going to be something that you can just easily grab. It's going to require a lot of work. But it's not difficult. It's simple. And now another follow-up question is, then if it isn't difficult, why should we do it? Because there is a reward. And the reward is talked about right there. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Excuse me. Study to show thyself, thyself approved unto God. The reward is the approval of God. Now, perhaps to the normal person, you're thinking, okay, well, the approval of God. Why is, why is that important at all? You know, that's, that's not a big deal, is it? Well, I'd like to say that, yes, it is. The approval of God is something very important because, let me illustrate this for you. How many of you still play with toys? Perfect. Now, have you noticed that there was once a time where you were very interested in your toys? Sometime in your life, you had a toy that you were very much attached to. Just like in this world, there's a lot of toys in this world. But at some point in your life, there was a time where you decided loyalty, friendship, love, honor, humility, these things are way more important to me now than just toys. At some point it happened in your life, correct? Now notice that these things you cannot buy with money either, right? The approval of God is the highest honor that a man or woman can get. We find approval when we have been faithful and when we've done good. Right? I'm not suggesting that Bible study is easy, but I am saying that you can do this. So, to start off, if my PowerPoint is ready, is it ready? Sound good? Hopefully. There we go. I actually got this from a small book that I've been using to help the teens with their Sunday school. And I want to share with you four practices, five terms, and five tools to jumpstart your Bible study, to help jumpstart your Bible study. Okay? Now, the objective is that you be able to study your Bible as soon as you need to, and not to have to guess about what you will need to start. So, let's start with practice number one. Practice number one is pray. Ask the author on how to interpret the Bible. 
And this just makes logical sense. And I'll have you turn here to John chapter 16, verse 13. John chapter 16 and verse 13. John chapter 16 and verse 13, you have, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. All right? So there you have the promise that Jesus promised of the Holy Spirit would help us to guide us into truth. Okay? So God himself promises that he will help you to understand the Bible when you read it or when you study it. So the first best practice that you can have is pray before you start Bible study. Okay? Though we may have a systematic way to analyze all these things that we're about to see, it's nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So one more, one more verse I'll have you look into is 1 Corinthians 2.12. 1 Corinthians 2.12. 1 Corinthians 2.12, it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Right? So you can see here that the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to help you. Not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is holy. God's spirit, okay? So, practice number two is the journal. Have a journal. Record your thoughts in a diary or a journal. And some real men will say, I have a captain's log, right? So, have something or somewhere where you can keep track of what God is teaching you. And we have many passages here, but maybe I'll have you turn here to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning Mahershala Hashbaz. Right? That's a big name. But even Isaiah had to write it down. Okay? So you of all people, we of all people, we will need to keep track of what God is teaching us, okay? And this is just good practice because now whatever God teaches you, you can pass it on to the next generation in writing, okay? Now, the next practice I'd like to give you is the schedule. Consistency in Bible study is the key. Consistency is key in Bible study. I just have it reworded there. The worst thing you can do is to think that since you missed one day, that you should stop. Right? That's actually a lie of the devil. The devil wants to uh, try to convince us that, oh, you missed one day. What difference does it make to miss another day? What difference does it make if you miss one day of Bible study? Consistency is the key. All right? In Ecclesiastes 3.1, it says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Determine that you will study your Bible. 
Determine it and do it. A reason people make it to work and make it to appointments is because they have appointed a time. The reason why you will make it to a doctor's appointment, the reason why you will make it to work is because you know that there is a time to do it, right? So set a time to do your Bible studying as well. If you need to go, get some coffee and get some tea. If you need it, do it. If you have a favorite chair, use it. If you need some quiet time, then try to find time to do it. Because cons consistency is the key to good Bible study. All right? And practice number four is be accountable. So actually tell somebody that you will do it. Is that difficult to read, by the way? Just uh, asking that little, those little subtitles. Are they easy to see? Or they're fine? Good? Oh. Just a little bigger? <laughs> Angelique, is it possible to make? There you go. There you go. Perfect. May have to do that for each slide, but. Anyways, letting somebody know about you starting your Bible studying is actually a good practice. Let someone know that uh, to ask you after the scheduled time to make sure you did it. If you told someone that you will be doing your devos, let's say, at 7 o'clock in the morning, tell somebody that you've appointed that 7 o'clock time to Bible study and then have them ask you, right? So when you're accountable, you will make sure that you are doing it more often, more consistently. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Tell a friend that you know that will contact you to stay accountable. All right? So now we just looked into four practices. So far, it's practical. But now we're going to look into some terms. And these terms, you may have seen them come before, come before when you maybe were listening to some kind of Bible study or you were reading through something. But I want to say that these are actually very helpful to know what they mean. Okay? Uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke 24, 27. Luke 24, and verse 27. Luke 24 and Luke uh, verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word hermeneutics is... It actually has its roots in a Greek word. Uh, who here has ever heard of the name Hermes? Hermes. That's known in Greek mythology. It's called, uh, he's called the messenger god, right? And what he would do is bring one message from one god to the other. Hermeneutics, what you're, ended up, when, what you're ending up doing is taking a message and delivering it, Right? What happens here in Luke 24, 27, that word expounded, 
He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That word expounded is actually the Greek word, the same Greek word for hermeneutics, or has the same root Greek word for hermeneutics. Okay? Now, the second term I want to give you is, you've probably heard this before, exegesis. All right? Exegesis. So, the first, uh, the first prefix there is the word ex, right? It's what we have when we see the word exit. It means to leave, to go out, right? Exegesis is to take out. Okay? Simple enough. Basically, exegesis is when you're reading it, you're trying to take out what the Bible is saying. Simple. Now, the word eisegesis also shows up. Eisegesis, anyone want to take a guess what it is? It's the opposite. All right? So you're taking what you know and putting it onto the Bible. You're taking your thoughts, specifically as a human being, you're taking your human thoughts and you're putting it into what the Bible is saying. Now, there is actually a danger to this. And I'll give you an example here. We throw around this word a lot, Calvinism. Calvinism actually finds its roots in human philosophy going into what the Bible says. Okay? Here, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, this is one of the favorite verses of most Calvinists. Verse 4 and verse 5. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the, to the good pleasure of his will. Now, if a Calvinist reads this, usually what they will say is that God has already chosen those who will get saved and those who are condemned from what they read. If you read it carefully, what the passage is actually saying is that before the foundation of the world, God has chosen his church to be holy without blame. Look at verse 4 again. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be. Right? It's connecting that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Right? It's saying that Christians need to be holy and blameless. That's what it's saying. God has chosen before the foundation of the world that Christians should be holy and without blame. Not the unsaved. Make sense? So a Calvinist will take their own thoughts and philosophies and place it on this verse and say that, oh, God has already chosen those who are going to get saved and those who are going to go to hell. Then what game is he playing? Right? So that's da it's a dangerous thing to actually place your own thoughts into what the Bible is saying. It's better to take what the Bible is actually saying. That's what we want to know. What does the Bible say? Make sense? Now, let's go into context. Context is the next term. 
And there's a little quote there, a text without context is a pretext. It's a really nice little quote and it, it makes a lot of sense. In Bible study, we should not be asking, what does this verse mean? Or what does this word mean? Or what does this verse mean to me? Those are actually the wrong questions. Because what we should be asking is, what does the Bible say? Because a verse is never to stand alone on its own, right? We want to get the whole picture. Here's an example in Luke 4, 7. Let's all turn there. I want you to see this. And I've seen some weird Facebook posts on this. And here's what it says, Luke 4 and verse 7. It sounds really good until you find out who's actually saying it. Luke 4 and verse 7, If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. It sounds really good. If I said, oh, that's from the Bible. Uh, the Bible says that. Now who's actually saying it? Satan is saying it during the temptation with, uh, against Jesus. Satan is actually saying, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all that you want. So if you use this verse out of context, you know, anyone can have a heyday with this, right? It's dangerous to take the verse out of context. You've got to take the whole picture, right? So because a verse is never to stand alone on its own, context teaches us that there is more to a story than just one verse, right? The verse is connected with a paragraph, a paragraph to a chapter, and a chapter to a whole book. So when you are reading, you have to make sure that you are getting the whole picture indeed. All right? Good, good. Term number five, historical grammatical approach. If the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. It's another one of those really nice quotes. And this is sometimes called the golden rule, right? When we have our statement of faith, when you've read the doctor, uh, your doctrinal statement, right, before becoming a member, we talk about how you, we interpret the Bible in the historical grammatical sense, right? And this sometimes is called the golden rule of Bible interpretation because common sense can also help you read your Bible and study it. I'll just ask a small question here. Who here has ever had the Bible speak to you? I don't mean like literally, but I mean, you know, you know what I mean. Okay, you didn't, maybe you haven't heard of all these practices and all these terms before, but somehow you knew that the Bible spoke to you because you used your common sense. You used the grammatical sense. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you don't go thinking, oh, Jesus is a tree because that doesn't make sense, right? You knew because of your common sense that Jesus was starting to speak figuratively. Therefore, you interpreted it figuratively, correct? So, the historical grammatical process has two parts to it. The historical part and the grammatical part, right? The, histor the historical part asks the questions like, how would they have understood the letter or book? How would the people in the story have understood the letter or the book. The grammatical part asks, is this a command or a question or a statement? Right? 
And that brings us to the end of the terms. So there's five more tools that I want to give you. Am I going too fast? Good? Good speed? All right, perfect. Last few parts to this is the tools. Tool number one, a good Bible. So technically, the Bible is supposed to stand on its own. You shouldn't need any other things, right? The Bible is all you need when you are studying the Bible. But it does help to have quick references. Quick references are useful. See, all you technically need when you're building a house is a hammer, a saw, nails, and wood. That's all you need. But it does help to have the other tools with you, right? And it, it's a lot easier when you're building that house. The same is for your Bible study. As you use the wood of the Bible to build your life, okay? So let's take a look. I, the tool number one is your Bible for your Bible study. That's the number one thing. But the second one, and this is, the, the rest of these tools here are just suggestions. A concordance, right? And a concordance is the list of words that you have at the back of, your, at, at the back of some of your Bibles, right? The concordance is useful. Many Bibles have a built-in concordance, but I even strongly suggest, who here has heard of Strong's Concordance? Strong's Concordance, right? A normal concordance at the back of your Bible would have keywords, but the Strong's, Strong's Concordance, what it does is it takes all the words in the King James Bible and lists it. Usually the Strong's Concordance is about this thick. I mean, you, maybe, uh, maybe you can't tell how much I'm pointing, trying to show you here, but it's about three and a half inches thick, the average, okay? Because it lists literally every single word in the Bible, and it lists where you can find it in your Bible, right? So if I say the word success, you may not know where to look for uh, when it comes to the word success, but in a concordance, it will tell you, go to Joshua 1.8, because that's the only place where you'll find the word success in your Bible, right? So a concordance is very useful. The second, or I should say third, tool is a dictionary. Now a concordance, you can find it online for free. Dictionaries, you can find them online for free, right? A dictionary, we like to recommend uh, Webster's 1828, but if you must. Pastor White has written his own dictionary as well, and you're free to try and take a look at it. It's very useful to uh, help you with words like the word mercy. We take it for granted what it actually means these days. Other words like the word predestination, we just looked at it, the word election. Those are terms that the King James translators have used, but today we've washed down our language to a point where it's doesn't make sense. Sometimes different doctrines come out of these words that we don't understand. So we recommend a dictionary. Next one is your commentary. Have a commentary. What is a commentary? Exactly what it sounds like. It's comments. Comments made by a theologian in the past. And there are some good ones out there. There are some that have six volumes and there are some that have one volume, men like Matthew Henry or Adam Clark, they have six volume commentaries. 
right? But what it does is it goes through each verse and it comments. Now, keep in mind, these are comments done by people, right? So that means if these people had weird doctrines, it's going to show in their commentaries. Uh, one, of the, one of the big ones is in Schofield. Who, who here has ever heard of Schofield? Yeah, okay. In Schofield, in the Schofield Bible, at least the older one, in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, it says that there was a gap. Okay? We don't believe there was a gap because this gap is what they try to say is the gap theory, that there was a gap between when God created the heavens and the earth and when God created the rest. Okay? Schofield himself put that note in there, but it's not entirely true. Okay? So... Just be wary when you're reading these commentaries. Another, and the last one, this is my favorite one, is computer software. Because all these tools I told you about can be found at a few clicks away, right? You click on Genesis 1.1, the commentaries show up, the dictionaries show up, all the concordance, concordances show up. Everything is there at your fingertips. So your Bible study is now made a little sooner, a little faster because of it. And that brings me to the conclusion of what you need to start a Bible study. <laughs> your crash course. How do you like that? But now, I, I, before I end, I want to conclude with this. And let's turn this last time to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8. What does the wisest man have to tell us about this? Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Solomon tells us of how the end is better than the beginning. Right? So you need to ask yourselves two questions before you start your Bible study. Why are you doing this? And what do you hope to learn from this process? Because this is all great. You may have the most systematic way of, of doing your Bible study. But these two questions deal with your motives and your goal. And if the goal is in the wrong spot, you may be just another person reading through your Bible mindlessly and never really gaining anything in the process. There are all kinds of motives that people have when they're reading their Bible. Sometimes it's to prove their friends wrong. Sometimes it's to prove the Bible wrong. Sometimes it's just to know God better. Others is to have a, an answer for a problem they have in life. Or just to find a good story. But no matter what these motives are, the truth is the Bible is God's letter for you. For you personally. Every single person can get something out of it. You read it and you will find that you are not only learning about God, but you're actually also going to be learning about yourself. There's a lot of things that you're going to be learning about yourself when you're reading the Bible. 
and when you're studying it. But you will learn things, and a good Bible study will always show you things about God, but also things about yourself. All right? And let's close up in the word of prayer.